Isaiah 5 asks an important question. Since Israel had received so much care and attention from God, why were they no better than any of the other nations? Isaiah, he doesn't come right out the gate condemning Israel in our reading today. Instead, he invites them to hear a song in verses 1 through 6. It's a song about an unnamed man planting a vineyard, and he takes great care of this vineyard. It's on top of a very fertile hill, and it should have some great growth. He's broken up the soil so its roots can grow deep, all the stones are out of the way, and he's built a tower there to watch out for any thieves that might come in and steal his produce, and he already has a wine press ready for all the expected growth. But despite all that this man has done for his vineyard, none of it's had any effect. He expected good grapes, but all his vineyard gave were wild grapes. He had done all this work for nothing and would have been better off not having done the work at all. So in verses 3 and 4, Isaiah says to his audience, Now, residents of Jerusalem and men of Judah, please judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard than I did? Why, when I expected a yield of good grapes, did it yield worthless grapes? And so Isaiah invites his audience in to make a decision. If the vineyard is worthless, what should be done with it? If there's no effect of this man's work on the grapes, why should he care for them at all? The obvious response that anyone would have given would be clear it all out. And that's exactly what this man is going to do in verse 6. It's going to become a waste, as everyone would agree it should be. But in verse 7, Isaiah reveals that this song isn't really about a vineyard at all. It's about Jerusalem. And they've just passed judgment on themselves when considering God's vineyard. God says that he has done everything for Israel to make them into a holy people. He fulfilled his promises to them. He saved them from Egypt. He provided for them in the wilderness. He had saved them countless times from the enemy. He had given them the law. But when he looked for justice, he found injustice. And when he looked for righteousness, he only heard cries of despair. God had done so much for Israel, but they were worthless. None of God's work seems to have had any kind of effect on them. And just as God said he would destroy his vineyard, he's now going to destroy his people. Following the song, we have six woes against Israel. Six indictments that show us what worthless grapes look like. The first is in verses 8 and 9. These are the greedy landlords who buy up every plot of land and drive everybody else out. They hoard God's blessings to themselves. And so in poetic justice... God says that because they've driven everybody else out, their own houses will become desolate and empty. Because they've increased their fields, he's going to curse what they produce and reduce it to nothing. In verses 11 through 17, we have the woe against the rich and those who live in luxury. They're drunk in the morning, drinking at night, and surrounded by entertainment, blind and deaf to God's word and the cries of the oppressed outside their gates. So as punishment... God is going to take away all the pleasures that they have and send them into exile. Just as they have opened their mouths wide to drink, God says the grave is going to open its mouth to swallow them up. The only feasting in their house will be the flocks of sheep grazing among the ruins. Woe number three is in verses 18 and 19. These are people who blatantly sin, dragging around for everybody to see and not taking any warning from God seriously. If God's going to judge us, then come and do it already. And then woes number four and five are similar. These are people who think they know more than God, and they want to determine good and evil for themselves, because they think they're clever and wiser than God. And then the final woe is in verse 22. There's no concern for justice. There's no concern for the innocent. 
All the judges and rulers of the people care for is personal gain and finding a bribe. They don't champion the cause of the innocent. They're only champions in drinking. Isaiah's song said that God would clear out his vineyard. And that's what God will eventually do to his people. As we read in 2 Kings 25 last week, God is going to call for the nation of Babylon to come in and destroy his people. Isaiah pictures God striking his people with such force in verse 25 that the mountains quake. And God has his hand raised to strike again. So we should ask ourselves, how often do we take our status as God's people for granted? Israel assumed that they were invulnerable to any threat because they were God's special people. He had done so much for them and would never destroy them. But God saw it the other way. He had done so much for Israel and saw no good come from it. As Paul writes in Romans chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, Do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Because of your hardened and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment is revealed. God's gracious acts are to make us feel humbled, not invincible. His mercy is meant to transform, not to encourage blatant sin. Jesus himself picks up on this entire parable in John 15, when he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit, so that it will produce more fruit. As followers of Jesus, we're under the same expectation that Israel was. We are to produce fruit. Now, hearing what happens to Israel might make you a little nervous about how much fruit you are producing. How can you make sure that you're on the way to producing good grapes and not worthless ones? Well, Jesus says again in John 15:5, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. The closer you cling to Jesus, the more you let him be the director and decider of your thoughts and your life, the more he's going to be producing good things through you.